We're going through the book of Romans in this series called A Great God, Amazing Salvation. Now, for a couple of months, we've looked through chapters 1 to 11 to take a long, hard look at the gospel. Now, why spend so much time there? Because the Apostle Paul says, the gospel is not some lame, weak message to be ashamed about, that you believe and then move on with your life. Rather, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the power behind the renewal of your soul for the recreation of this world. So we took a look at chapters 1 to 11, and now we're in chapter 12 and 13. And we're starting to take a look at how this gospel changes us and the way we live right now. Paul is saying this is what a gospel-shaped life looks like. So all of that can be summarized in the first two verses in chapter 12. Here's what Paul says there, 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's an amazing passage. And if you think about it, that's basically Christian life in a nutshell, right? It starts with God's mercy to us. And therefore, we respond out of gratitude and love to offer up our lives to please Him. That's Christian life. And so chapter 12 and 13 has been all about that. It's all about how we respond to God's mercy, how we respond to the gospel. And our passage today is the very end of chapter 13. It's the end of that section. And if you notice, here's what's going to happen. At the beginning of chapter 12, Paul says, look at what God has done for us in the past, in the past, in view of God's mercy. And therefore, this is how we live today. Now, at the end of chapter 13, Paul says, look at what God is about to do in the future. And therefore, this is how we ought to live today. Here's chapter 13, 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, if you notice, the image there in verse 11 to 14 is the image of a person who's supposed to be waking up from his nighttime sleep. In verse 11, Paul says, you know the time. The time is for you to wake up stop sleeping 
Now, in recent years, there is, there's been a surge in what we call the woke culture. Now, I'm not here to give you my opinions about that because Paul is saying something far more important here. He's not just talking about being woke to social issues. He's talking about being awake to the fact of the day of the Lord. This is infinitely more important than anything else that we can think about. What is this day and what does it mean for us? Well, let's talk about it in three ways. Let's talk about the time that Paul is talking about. What's this time of the day? And then secondly, let's talk about the preparations needed for that day. And lastly, what is the agenda for that day? The time, the preparations, and the agenda. Now, when we talk about the time of the day, let's think about how our society relates with time. You know, one of the things about living in a technological society like ours is that we are constantly aware of time. You know, time is always on our phones, wherever we go. We even have our watches. We have it on our laptops. Everywhere we see time, we're constantly aware of time and we keep careful track of it. We use planners, we use Google calendars, and some of us plan out our time in our days almost on an hourly basis. The irony is that for a society so obsessed with time, some of us are hardly ever aware of God's time. We know the time of the day, but we, know, we don't realize the times in which we live in. So imagine you wake up one Tuesday morning, and you're preparing for work. You get dressed, you grab your coffee, and then you start your commute to work. Now on your way to work, you notice something very strange. There's no people lining up in the MRT. There's no cars along EDSA. What's up? Well, you don't really know, but you look at the time and you're late, so you head off to work. And when you arrive at the office, there's no one there except the guard. So you ask the guard, Kuya, why is there no one here? To which the guard answers, Sir, don't you know? It's a national holiday. It was announced a few days ago. Haven't you heard? See, this is the kind of mistake that many of us are making. We keep careful track of our times in our schedules and our calendars, but we miss the point because we're not aware of God's bigger calendar of God's time. We're not aware of that and we're missing the point. We're living out our days so busy, so busy, so busy without adjusting our lives in accordance to God's calendar. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it. He, he says this in, in, his, in his message version. He says, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day -day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. See, it's way more important to keep track of God's calendar and God's time so that we can make sense and live out our little calendars aligned to God's time and His agenda for the day. That's why Paul says, what does Paul say? He says, understand the present time understand the present time in god's calendar well what is the present time paul says the time has come for you to wake up stop sleeping the day is almost here the night is nearly over now the metaphor that paul is giving us is a metaphor that explains the situation of the world the world 
was in utter blackness, dark, starkly black. But the light of Christ has come. He is risen. The kingdom is here. The promise of grace is being fulfilled even at this time. See, God has brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so Paul says, look what he says. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The day is almost here. Now, if, if, if you've ever woken up early to look at the sunrise, you know exactly what this means. As you wake up, the sun's not yet there. It's pretty dark. It's pretty cold. But when the sun starts to rise, the darkness and the chill of the night start vanishing. And the light and the heat of the day start to grow stronger minute by the minute. See, this is right where we are. The light of Christ has begun to rise. But it's not yet the full bright noon of His return. Someday, when the day of the Lord comes, when Christ returns, we shall experience His radiant glory as the sun in a cloudless noon. But it's not there yet. We wait for that perfect day when His radiant glory will be fully here and the kingdom is completely established. But it's not yet here. We wait with eager expectation, but we wait with hope because the light of Christ has already been poured out into our hearts through the Spirit. And so we wait. We know, as Paul says, that every second is one second nearer than when we first believe. And so Paul says, stop sleeping. It's time to wake up. Time to wake up. It's already day. The day is starting. Now, wait a minute. Some of you might be thinking, wait, aren't Christians already awake because of the gospel? We've been saved already because of the gospel? To which the great preacher Charles Spurgeon says, yes, Christians have been awakened from the sleep of death. But some Christians need to be shook roughly with loud callings to be completely awake. See, some of us are still need to be awakened from the sleep of inaction. You like to hear nice messages. You like to be encouraged, taken care of. But you have no plans to serve or work or sacrifice or give. Your spiritual journey consists in receiving all and doing nothing. But they, when Christ returns, is coming at a time we do not expect. And if you want to be considered by our Lord as a faithful servant, then it's time to get out of bed and start the work of the day. See what, what seeds can be planted in the vineyard of God. See what weeds need to be rooted out. See what part of the garden needs to be watered. Get up, get up from the bed and start the day because the harvest is plenty, Jesus said, but the workers are few. Now, some of us maybe are already doing the Lord's work, but we're doing it in such an unconcerned way, as if we're bored. We need to be waking up from that because we're acting as if the Lord's work is not the most important, exciting, challenging thing that we can ever do in this life. We act as if it's a bore to participate in God's mission to turn this world upside down with His kingdom. 
We act as if the day of judgment and blessing, when Christ comes, is not near. Paul says, wake up, stop sleeping. You know, in another letter, Paul says, I run like a runner intent on winning. I discipline my body. I focus my mind. I zone in to accomplishing the work that God has assigned for me to do. So wake up. Or maybe some of us need to be awakened from our daydreaming. You know, we're awake, but we're daydreaming dreams, worldly dreams, dreams of power and pleasure, dreams of fame and fortune. But dreams belong to the night, not to you who belong to the light of Christ. What do you have to do with the shadows of this world? Set your mind on things above, on things unseen. Wake up from those dreams and set your eyes to the heavenly realities, to eternal facts. So stop sleeping. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The day of Christ is coming. And everything in history, everything in history is hurtling towards that day. So we need to recognize the time of God so that, number two, we can start our preparations for the day at hand. See, when we get up from bed, what's the first things we do? Maybe some of us grab our phones, we grab our Bibles, we grab our coffee. What's the morning routine here? You do something to prepare yourself for the day. Well, how about the Christian? What is the Christian's morning routine to prepare for the coming day? Well, Paul gives us three aspects of a morning routine here. He says the Christian needs to prepare three things, an appropriate clothing, appropriate behavior, and an appropriate preoccupation. In verse 12, Paul says you need to put on an appropriate clothing. He says, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now notice Paul says there must be a putting off before we can put on something. So for example, you need to put off your pajamas before you can properly put on your work clothes, right? You don't just put it on. In the same way, you must put off the sinful deeds of darkness so that you can properly wear the armor of light. See, it would be a great mistake to just keep adding and adding and adding spiritual things without casting off the sinful things. That won't do. The only way a Christian can properly grow it's through repentance. It's through kicking out and rejecting and hating the sins that so drag us down. And see, it's a mistake to say, I'll just keep adding religion and spirituality and Christian things without letting go of the bad sinful things. To think of a person who has a bad temper, right? And all he does is he brings it to the church meeting. Mistake. Or think of a person who enjoys gossiping, and all he does is he's brought it inside a life group. Or a person who's, who, who's greedy for money, but all he's done is look for it instead of the business, he's looking for it in God. He's looking for it inside a church. Those things are mistakes. They're trying to be saints without changing the sinner. Remember, Jesus did not come to save us 
in our sins, he, came to, he comes to save us from our sins. The only way to grow is through repentance. Painful as may be, you must put off the deeds of darkness so that you can put on the armor of light. Isn't it interesting that Paul says the moment you wake up, the moment you put off the, the, the night clothes, immediately put on a battle gear, an armor of light. Because remember, we're not at home. And yeah, the sun is rising, but there's still darkness remaining. And so we need to recognize that we're in the middle of a war. Be prepared for battle. Because as you go down the stairs to get your breakfast, maybe an arrow of temptation will be shot at you. Maybe just after you pray, some sinful desires may come bursting out of you. Always there is danger, so we need to be vigilant. We need to put on the battle gear that, that, that God has given us. Be vigilant, be prepared for battle. That is the appropriate clothing. And also, we need to be putting on an appropriate behavior. Paul says in verse 13, Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. See, what are the inappropriate behaviors that Paul is giving us here? He gives us a few examples here. He, gives, he says there's excessive drinking, excessive partying, there's indulging in whatever sexual desires that you may have, there's arguing and complaining and bickering and bitterness, right? What are these examples? These are the examples of a behavior that has cast off all self-restraint, all control and discipline. Put it aside, and I'll indulge in whatever I want. I'll indulge if I want to drink, if I want to party, if I want to satisfy these desires, I'll indulge in it. And see, those behaviors, those are easy. Anybody can set aside self-restraint and discipline and dignity. Anybody can do that. There's nothing noble about that. There's nothing to be proud of about that. In fact, it's shameful, right? But Paul says, those who belong in the daytime, in the light of Christ, let us behave decently. That means, instead of wild and reckless living, you behave with dignity, with discipline, with self-control, with purpose in life. See, you, you don't indulge in, you don't, you're not controlled by wine. You're not controlled by parties. You're not controlled by sexual desires. You're not controlled by other people's behaviors. Instead, there's a quiet strength that is steadfast, that is immovable, that, that is anchored in principles and convictions. Now, how can someone have that kind of strength consistently throughout a lifetime to behave with dignity throughout their life. It's those people who understand that these days are limited and there is a coming day of the Lord. That, that, that this world, all that this world offers is not all there is. I don't have to overindulge. I don't have to stretch my neck just to... Just to grab hold as many of these pleasures as I can. No, no, no. All these things shall pass away and the day of Christ shall come. 
And when He comes in the full radiant glory of His light, all the glitters of this world will seem dull in comparison. And therefore, I don't have to overindulge in all these things. I can live with dignity. I can restrain myself. I can be disciplined and live with purpose and behave as Christ wants me to. That's an appropriate behavior for someone who knows that the day is almost here. And then lastly, also, Paul says in verse 14, there's an appropriate preoccupation for Christians. See, what does he say? He says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now again, Paul gives us a metaphor of putting on something. But now, instead of just an armor, he says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus himself. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look at the opposite. What's the opposite of putting on the Lord Jesus? Paul says, don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't the, 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 Indulging in your sinful desires. Don't think about it. Paul says, don't even think about it. Don't even think that, ah, when this day comes, when this happens, I can be alone and I can do this and that and that. Don't even entertain those thoughts. Don't even go anywhere near it. Hate those thoughts, Paul says. Don't even think about how to sin. Now, the opposite, the opposite of thinking about how to sin is to put on the Lord Jesus. In other words, it's to obsess and think constantly about Jesus Christ. Because what? To put on the Lord Jesus means you put on His heart as your heart. His character is my character. His mission is my mission. That's what it means to put on the Lord Jesus. All your thoughts, all that you do, it's all, it all keeps on drifting back and revolving in Jesus Christ. He is your life's obsession. And so instead of thinking, where can I sin? How can I sin? When can I sin? What you're thinking of, well, where can I love Jesus? How can I serve Him? When can I, how can, how, when can I go back and enjoy His presence? That's all that you're thinking about. That's the appropriate obsession in this life. Because remember, the day of the Lord is coming. He shall come back in all of His glory. God says, all things in heaven and on earth is put under Him. And therefore, the only appropriate obsession and preoccupation in this life is to think about Jesus because it's all about Jesus. So we put on Lord Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Stop sleeping. You know the time. The day is coming. So prepare. Prepare because that's how you can focus on the agenda that God has given for us who belong to the light. What's the agenda? What's the task that God is giving us for the day ahead? What's the work of the day? Well, the simple, very simple answer, yet profound, is love. It's love. Here's what Paul says. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. It's a simple answer because, you know, the best answer is, of course, to love. And yet, it's profound. Because for one thing, 
Notice what Paul says. Paul is saying, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love. Love is not just a gift. It's a debt. Say your friend from out of town comes to visit Manila. So you tell him, hey friend, I want you to have a spare key to my home. Okay? You can stay at my place. You can come in and go out anytime you like. Whatever food you find in my fridge, help yourself. Make yourself at home. No, what's that? That's a gift. I'm under no obligation to do that. I can just take him out to a nice dinner and, and that's it, right? That would be a good friend. I can choose not to do that, but I did. That's a gift. But say you're newly married and you say to your wife, Han, here's a spare key to my home. Eat whatever you find in the fridge. Come in, go out anytime you like. Make yourself at home. What's that? That is not a gift. That's an obligation. You're under obligation to do that. You, there, it's, not, it's not like there's a choice whether you can give it or not. You have to do that because that is your spouse, right? Paul is saying, love, it's not just a gift. It's an obligation. It's not a choice that you can freely make. The choice is always to love. That is the only option for a Christian. In fact, Paul says it's a continuing debt. It's a debt that we can never fully fulfill. It's an obligation that goes on and on and on and on. And so we are never in a position where we can say, you know what? I've loved enough for today. It's time for myself. I'm going to stop loving for today. No, no, no. Paul says, love it's a never-ending obligation. It's a never-ending obligation. That is what we're supposed to do today, what we're supposed to do tomorrow, and the day after that, and all the other days leading up to the day of Jesus Christ. And even beyond that, it's to love. We're meant to spend an eternity in love. And it starts today. Why? Because Paul says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, Jesus himself also says that the greatest command is the command to love. To love God with everything, to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Jesus says, because the law and the prophets hang on these commands. In other words, all the biblical commands, all the precepts and principles, it all hangs on the command to love. It's all about love. The underlying principle, the underlying motive, the goal behind all the biblical principles and commands is love. It's to love God and to love people. That is everything about the Christian life. That's basically the Christian life. Christian life is about a life of love. We who receive God's love love Him and love the people that He loves. That's why Christians, we do worship because we love God and we receive His love. That's why we do ministry because we love the people God loves. That's why we do missions because we love the people that God loves. That's everything about the Christian life. It's about love. 
That's our whole agenda. You know, sometimes I come across some videos about productivity. And these productivity videos, they all say that in order for you to be really productive for the day, you have to identify one, at most two, big important things that you want to accomplish for the day. All the other things, all the other tasks are, can be compromised, they, they're negotiables, but this one big important thing, that is non-negotiable. You should accomplish this for the day. And if you focus on this one thing, then you're gonna be very productive. You're gonna be productive in what you want to achieve. Well, what about a Christian? The one big thing that we're supposed to do is love. It's love. The one big non-negotiable that God has given us is to love today. That's our agenda now. That's our agenda tomorrow and the other day. It's every day about love. All the other things can be compromised, but we should not fail in loving, in loving God and loving man. That's our daily agenda. And if we just focus on this, then we'll progress in our Christian walk with God. And now, don't confuse love with all these other different things, right? All these different things can be compromised, but focus on love. You know, Elizabeth Elliot, who is the wife of uh, the missionary Jim Elliot, the one who was martyred, if you're familiar with him, Elizabeth Elliot tells this story back when they were kids that under their kitchen sink, that was where they stored the paper bags. And now, uh, they were allowed to take it out and play with it and make a mess, but they always had to put it back under the kitchen sink. Well, one day, her brother Tommy put it out and played with the paper bags and it was a mess. And then Tommy suddenly remembered, oh, I have piano lessons. So he went to the piano and he was playing there with his father hymns, right? They were playing piano. Now, Tommy was confronted about this and Tommy answers, he says, but mommy, I'm singing songs to Jesus. And here's what Elizabeth Elliot says. She says she remembers her father say, Tommy, it's no good singing God's praise if you're disobedient. He's saying it's no good singing God's praise and doing all these different things for God if you're not doing the thing that God wants you to do. Well, what's the thing? It's love. It's no good singing God's praise if you're not loving. It's no good reading the Bible, praying, attending church, and doing all these ministries if you're not truly loving God and man. You know, in one place, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that you can do incredible ministry work. You can be radically generous to the poor and, and, and be active in social justice and all these different things. You might even be a martyr for the faith. But if there's no love, then you've achieved nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because God says the one main agenda that is non-negotiable for the day is love. It's love. If you do all these things, but you forget this one thing, that day is meaningless because God is looking for your love to Him and to the people around you.
That's why, as Christians, we who need to be aware of the coming day of Christ, when love shall finally be complete, we await for that day, we prepare ourselves, and we make love the aim of our life as we wait for the coming day of Jesus Christ. St. Augustine, he tells us in his autobiography that before he became a Christian, he was living a, a wild and immoral life. And then one day, as he was thinking about his condition, he thought he heard God say to him, take up and read. And as God would have it, there was a New Testament book right near him. And so he took it and he opened it up randomly and he was put to this page. Verse 13 and 14, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Augustine read that, here's what he says in his autobiography. I would read no further, for I needed not. For when I had read to the end of this sentence, all the darkness of doubtfulness vanished away, as if some clear light of security were poured into my heart. It was as if it had been said, O man, acknowledge thy misery, thou art naked, cover thy filthiness, put upon thee Jesus Christ. And forthwith, I felt a fire within me. My heart was lightened. The scales fell from mine eyes. I was able to see. And I pray that as God's word in the very same passage is spoken to you today, I pray that the light of Christ would pierce through any darkness within you right now that you would be awakened from whatever sleep you are in right now, so that we may await for the coming day of Christ, for the full day of His glory. And let us prepare and make love the aim of our life. For soon, very soon, the full light of Christ shall be radiant and His kingdom will be completely established. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your light has come into our darkness. You did not leave us in the blackness of our sins and the utter hopelessness of death. Father, we have hope because Jesus Christ has been given. Your grace and your love has been poured out for us. Father, we are grateful. We worship you for that. Lord, we pray that you constantly remind us and renew our minds so that we may understand the times that we live in, that we live in the middle of your plan of salvation, that Jesus Christ is coming again, that you will come to judge and bless and reward. Father, I pray that you awaken whatever sleep and lethargic there is in us. Father, we pray that you put that fire in us. Open up our eyes. Help us to see so that we can prepare and go forth and love and do the work that you have assigned to us. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would continue to open up our eyes for opportunities to embody the gospel in word and to voice it out 
indeed. Lord, I pray that you would continue to guide us and help us make love the aim of our lives, just as you loved us so. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, on whose righteousness we clothe ourselves with. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that this message blesses you and that the light of Christ will truly shine upon you.